0: Hey, what's up, It's Welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. We are here in the Westwood One studios. And if this is your first Geekscape, I'm Jonathan London. We're going to be talking movies, video games, comics, geek stuff, pop culture stuff. And that's usually what you get every week. Uh, last week, I think you got a little bits of both. We kind of did a Geekscape State of the Union now that it's 2018. We kind of let you know how things are going here with Geekscape. Uh, we are several, several, several months into our relationship with Westwood One. We love hanging out here at the studio and having some amazing guests. This week's show is no different. And so if you kind of want to know what Geekscape's all about, maybe listen to the last show or go before that to the show we did with our good friend Casper Van Dien uh, the week before in his new action movie, uh, Showdown in Manila. And then if you really want to know the origins of Geekscape, there's an episode on the feed that's like three ago where I was back in Austin, Texas, and I sat down with the two friends that we used to run a comic book store together in the mid-90s which really led to basically this. When you run a comic book store during things like Marvel's The Clone Saga, um, you're going to see some tough times, and uh, and we made it through, I think. Wait, the store's not there anymore. Never mind. We did not make it through. Our sanity was not intact, but I think listening to that episode, you'll be like, oh, yeah, the, the, this guy's legit. He's a geek. Uh, tried and true for a long time. So if that's your first Geekscape, this is your first Geekscape, I think uh, I think that'll be a great introduction to just what to expect. Um, today, though, we are actually talking uh, sci-fi. We'll be talking a lot of sci-fi and we'll be talking a lot of writing with our friend Adam Cornman. He has a new book out. It's the second book in the saga, the Grey War saga. And it's called When the Skies Fall. So we're going to be talking to him about that. And uh, I'm feeling good about the episode. Sometimes I come in and I'm like, yeah, I've been doing Geek's here for 12 years, so is my head still in it? Is my heart still in it? Is my body still in it? Can I align my chakras in time to do the show properly? The geek chakras, what would the geek chakras be? You know the chakras that run down your spine? They all have different names. What would the geek ones be? I don't know. You'd have to name one like... Like uh, Kirby, <laughs> Lee, Ditko. That's <laughs> like only if you're into Marvel. But then you got to throw some film in there too, right? So you got to have like a Spielberg chakra. Uh, video games, you'd have to have like a Miyamoto, right? Um, Bradbury would have to be in there, I think. Um, maybe Highland. I don't know. Think about it, Geekscape's. Geekscapist, think about it. What would your geek chakra be comprised of for your geek spirituality, which is kind of why we're all here. That's what we're listening to. We're kind of listening to, you know, not that I'm a priest or anything of it, but think about it. To us, this is our our spirituality. I was talking to my friend uh, Timor yesterday. You guys may not uh, remember Timor from way back in the Geek Drone forums, but he is in from Cologne, Germany. He's a very successful photographer. And he's in uh, shooting some photos for Mercedes Benz, and we went to dinner last night, and we were reminiscing about the last twelve years that we've known each other. And I remember the first time I met him, I came sprinting. He 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 called me on my cell phone, and he goes, "Hey, I'm outside. I came sprinting out of my apartment in Los Feliz, jumped into the car, and a dude I didn't know I didn't know what he looked like. I just knew him from the forums. I look over, and there's some dude who's like." can i help you and I, it is not timor i i had jumped into a stranger's car <laughs> in my excitement to meet this guy that i only met on the internet and timor is in the studio with me right now but uh we're going to do a get to know kind of uh geekscape hang session podcast later on so look for that in the feed later yeah that'll be like 30 minutes of me getting to uh letting you guys know about your community because again that's what geekscape is so uh, let's go ahead and welcome Adam to the community. Uh, Adam, how are you doing, dude? I'm doing great. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm good. Sorry about the little pre-roll. I've uh, I've discovered in doing Geekscape that whenever I do interviews with people, people miss like the community aspect or hey, what's going on in your life aspect of Geekscape, which I think I try and pepper through the episodes. But um, but I've heard that people want to know a little bit more about how things are going, so. That's a little bit of the pre-roll. Um, trust me, Geekscape. If this goes too well, that entire section will be taken over by advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Adam, I got your recommendation to come on the show from my good friend Bob Peterson, and uh, he runs California Cold Blood. Uh, it's a publication company. Like they, they put up books, like legit books, not like no offense to the four colored funnies, but like not like comic books. He puts out, like, (laughs) real books that will take you time to read. Like, whole
1: pages, tomes of stuff and knowledge.
0: (laughs) Which is so appropriate because whenever you talk to Bob, I'm like, yeah, this guy makes me feel like a mental midget.
1: (laughs) Bob always kind of appears to me like uh, a man out of time. Uh, I, I imagine him working on 1940s serials. And and walking around with a fedora and yelling at people in a stern like Russ Sterling kind of voice.
0: Well, but he's a gentleman about it.
1: Oh, absolutely. It, you know, he's the nicest guy you'll ever in,
0: meet. And the, the thing too about Bob is he has such a better voice than, than me. Like he should be doing this. His, oh, he's got a his great voice. voice, voice for is radio. So crisp. He just has a good voice, and he's just a nice dude. And um, and for sure, like I have not checked in with Bob recently about like how things are going with California Cold Blood, but. Over the, you know, over the last decade plus of doing Geekscape, a lot of friends of Geekscape have started their own, in, you know, publications or initiatives or comic companies or music labels, da 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 and when Bob started California Cold Blood, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, you're doing this in the age of, like, Barnes & Noble's going away and brick and mortar, con- like, bookstores going away and publishing, I don't, I mean, granted, I don't know enough about the publishing industry, I, um... I barely know English, but, uh, like it just sounded like, dude, if you're not super passionate about this, <laughs> you're going to lose your shirt or like this might be gone in a, in a matter of months. It just seemed like such a risky endeavor. And here we are several years later. Well, I mean, with the publishing
1: industry is, it's evolving. And if you don't evolve with it, you're going to pass away. Mm-hmm. I Borders didn't learn. So they fell to the Amazons and, and, and the other digital marketplaces sure. with things like kindle and the nook uh, and even reading on your ipad becoming so prevalent uh, modern day publisher has to be prepared to really branch out in directions they may not have considered before so a lot of modern publishers are starting to look at how do we get into the audible formats how do we look at maybe graphic novel formats and they're really expanding how they uh, treat what was the old traditional publishing model with california cold blood uh, and and the parent company, Rare Bird Books, mm-hmm. it's a very forward-focused company. And uh, I think that Bob Bob brought a lot of that um, ingenuity when he proposed, hey, let's open up this imprint for for sci-fi fantasy. It's we need to be not just a new publishing company for you know, the SoCal area and eventually the world, uh, but we need to be modern. We need to be looking at where the industry is going and where we can lead it so that we don't go the way of a lot of different publishers and and kind of failed uh, uh, fail to adapt. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the like the biggest lessons that uh, that the publishing company is learning over the last decade or so. If you don't have any kind of new spin on the traditional model, you're going to fail out. Um, I, uh, Rare Birds started doing vinyls to go along with some of their bigger authors. They did a, a vinyl reading for Chuck Palinwick when he did uh, Fight Club 2.
0: That's so, cool.
1: Little things like that, something that's just – it may seem gimmicky at first, but it's also a way to hook in an audience that um, that may not be as willing to jump on books the way that we used to. Right. At the same time, that big big publishers – or not big publishers, big bookstores mm-hmm. seem to be kind of going away. The Barnes & Nobles are kind of struggling. But indie bookstores and your local bookstores are actually starting to thrive because there's a niche to them. There's a, um, like a, a nostalgia to going mm-hmm. into a bookstore and getting that – that stink of old glue and paper and just being like, ah, this is what books smell like. And there's
0: like a sense of discovery too about going through and actually flipping through the books and you're not going to get that digitally. Absolutely. Right. There's a tactile
1: thing mm-hmm. and I, I know it sounds kind of hipstery, but hey, we're in SoCal, let's, let's go with it. <laughs> but having something that you can actually touch and feel, uh, there, there's still something about that. There's still a sensory enjoyment to it and i think that that's why the book the book industry and the publishing industry it's not going to go away it may just change and and there'll be hills and valleys that we'll kind of get through
0: sure and also there's a a living breathing person in those bookstores that can give you recommendations
1: i think that's the biggest part yeah. i i when i first started uh, uh putting out books um the biggest thing was the cover like mm-hmm. if, if you didn't have a catchy cover you weren't going to sell anything because it's amazon right? it was sure. or digital marketplaces if people don't like what they see they just keep scrolling but in a living bookstore, uh, yeah, you absolutely – you have somebody who can be like, oh, so you like Heinlein. Well, I have a recommendation for a new author for you. Um, that's why I love going into comic book stores because you always get that. Mm-hmm. If, if it's a good comic book store, you're going to get somebody who knows the characters, who knows uh, the different publishers and can really direct you towards something that more often than not you're going to like.
0: And I think – I just remember after the I left the comic book store – <laughs> that I talked about earlier. Um, I worked at Blockbuster. Oh, and takes me we back. always had like those staff recommendations, right? Like, the, like I was so excited to put my staff recommendation movies up there. You know, um, I can probably remember a few of them in Geekscape, because you can probably name a few of them just having known me. Um, but uh, that is something that you get with those brick and mortar stores, those indie stores. Uh, that you don't get it elsewhere and also you know on the music end of it just the every I think that every store has to have their non-traditional layout right like there's that there's that larger way of going into a bookstore and granted they're going to have their science fiction fantasy section and and maybe that that might include graphic novels it may not they're going to have their fiction section their non-fiction their you know their biographies that, you know maybe based on industry, da, da da da. Um but then you get like those weird nook and cranny like like sections of the bookstore that have some weird classification to them. You know, and two weeks ago with Casper, we were talking about how even Blockbuster had their action section but also had their super action section for those movies that you know were just going to be celebrated on a TNT like at 2 a.m. with like, you know, some dude kicking a motorcycle into like an explosion or something. You know, you're just going to get something like that. Um, so basically the best movies ever made. The best movies ever made. So, so talk to me because um, is this now did the first book in the Great War Saga get published by California Cold Blood as well? Yes, and so to so talk to me about the relationship with California Cold Blood and Oddbird, Oddbird, Rarebird, Rare Rarebird, Rare, Rare Bird. and Rarebird. So Rarebird is like was like a pre-existing bigger imprint, and I mean maybe Bob is better at talking about this stuff. I don't know, Um, but like, did they acquire California Cold Blood, or they they have like an agreement where it's like, hey man, we like we like that you're finding this like cool niche stuff for us. Let's like we we'll help you out in publishing it well
1: I and Bob would absolutely be yeah. uh, a better knowledge source for this but from from what I saw happening rarebird existed and was putting out uh, uh, self-help books and um, nonfiction and, and really good stuff they were a little you know bringing in authors uh, from all walks of life from really different perspectives uh, to to write interesting uh not tell-alls but interesting autobiographies about sure. their their particular walk of life they didn't have a great fiction arm for sci-fi or fantasy, and Bob saw that that opening. He saw that this is a company that has a far reach. Uh, they can get anywhere in the world. They work with a uh, PGW Publishers Group West. It's it's a fantastic opportunity for sci-fi and fantasy authors in this SoCal area to get their foot in the door.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so and he had already been doing California Cold Blood. Like he'd already been doing. He'd, it he'd been working himself. his
1: own. His own publishing arm. I don't. I don't know when he started calling it California Cold Bud, but right. he'd been writing books for years. He right. he had novels already at uh, Omega Ball and the Odds. He had he'd had his stories that he was ready, but he was going through his own publishing company rather than. Uh, yeah, I using remember it as an having Impra. him on for the odds. Yeah, but when he pitched to uh, Rare Bird, they were excited because this was an opportunity not only for them to get into a new line of business in the publishing industry, but to have somebody that passionate driving it and really. Finding the authors who would fit with his vision, and and to them that that just that rings true from a business perspective. That's somebody who is going to do the legwork that maybe they weren't as interested in doing, or they didn't have the knowledge base to do. And now you have the right person, the right talent to really put it all together. That's uh, cool. When I, uh, I I wrote the Grey Wars, the original uh, the original run of the, of the book years and years back. Um, and it was just hot garbage. Just I could not figure out how to ma- how to tell the story. I was a young kid when I was writing it.
0: Well, yeah, t- tell me, like, <laughs> where did you grow up? Like, what was...
1: So I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, uh-huh. uh, which was, when I was growing up there, it was starting to become a little bit more urban, but it was still a suburban town. Oh, I, mean, I, it was- I
0: remember Fort Worth. My... my um. My half sister lives in Fort Worth. All right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I grew up in Austin, so my half sister, yeah. Oh, so you're yeah. a fancy
1: Texan.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm a progressive Texan, I believe. Oh, yeah, but, that, that but would I be an accurate. Term. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Austin's like, oh, where are you? F- where are you from, boy? Austin. Oh, you fancy boy. Um, but I mean, for, you know what I heard, and she's been wanting me to get. She was wa- wanting me to come visit the Dallas Fort Worth area. Is that arcade where you pay a lump? Like you pay like ten bucks? Oh, like going in, and you can play forever. <laughs> have oh, you heard wow. about this place? I haven't heard about it. Because she's a big board gamer, and, like, and she knows that I'm big into, like, arcade games and video games and stuff like that, and so she and her husband, over Christmas, were like, you need to come up to Dallas-Fort Worth because there's this place that you pay, like, maybe it's 6 $7, and then <laughs> it's like when those kids back in school, like, you know, like the kids who are wealthy, like, when their parents would rent out the arcade for two hours and get up unlimited <laughs> quarters, it was like, Whoa! That's the that's the friend you want. Uh, it just seems like that kind of opportunity. So I may be visiting the Fort Worth area soon to play video games.
1: When I was in high school, there was a place. God, I, I can't remember. I think it was just called the Gaming Center, uh-huh. uh, and it was in a strip mall. And you'd go there and you'd pay hourly to have access to everything that they had. And they had they had uh, PCs, they had an Xbox, they had Whoa. a PlayStation, and they they would always have new games coming in. So my buddy and I would go there because they had Star Wars Galaxies, uh, the the first Star Wars MMO. And I mean. We look back on it now and like, oh, that was a bad version of an MMORPG. But at the time, hey, I, I really loved the idea that I was going to be a Jedi. Right. But we started playing it right when it came out. And I don't know if you remember, but the they had the strangest idea of how this game would go. <laughs> it's like in order to become a Jedi, nobody was a Jedi at first. But in order to become one, you had to max out two classes. But each character, every time you rolled, you would have a different mystery class that you had to perfect – once you did that, it would roll constantly, uh, like just just behind the scenes rolls. And if you were lucky, you'd get an email saying, "Hey, something's going on in you. This guy has a quest for you." But it, it would it would take hundreds of hours just to get a maybe to maybe become a Jedi, oh, and wow. then you would go down that path. And then and I don't like remember a third, I don't remember that at all. It, but, it was, I mean, I never it was played a crazy it, but, business model,
0: but I don't remember anybody ta- talking about that. So, okay, so like in any RPG, you're rolling character stats. And let's say you have, like, a lot of charisma or strength. I don't, I'm just going with traditional, you know, Dungeons and Dragons on this one. And there's a mystery stat somewhere. And it could be, like, your speed. It could be your strength. You don't know which of these it fell on. But it's a stat you know of, but you don't know that that's the one with the asterisks on it. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And, and, and also related to the
1: jobs. So right. if you were a smuggler, if you were a soldier class, a rogue class— you had to max out that class as well. Right. And again, it's, it was all a mystery. You had no idea. And I think at the end of the first couple of years, there were three Jedi so or you very, could very be going, low Jedi.
0: So let's say you're a smuggler, but you have a lot more fun playing as this or that. Like you could you could be going down the wrong route the entire time you're playing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's tough. Well, the <laughs> you thing you was, want to play a Jedi so bad and you're like trying to be super noble. But it's like, well, if you'd only, if you'd only gone down that smuggling
1: route. And, and I mean you, you were telling the, the story of your character in your head and you were like, oh, once I get this Jedi thing, though, this is how it's going to turn. It was, it was this great idea that never really came to fruition. But what really turned everybody is I think it was a third or fourth major update. They just scrapped that. And now you could just choose to start as a Jedi. <laughs> and so all these people put in hundreds of hours into this game. Including and yourself. Then, including me, mean, yeah, yeah. In, And I was paying by the hour totally. to sit down at a computer and then oh, pay by no. the hour to play this game. And, and then they're like, oh, no, you can just choose to be a Jedi now. And I was like, F this. We're done. And that, that burned me on
0: MMOs for a while. Whoa. <laughs> and how, how long did it take for that update to show up where they were like, forget it. We want Jedis in the game. I want
1: to say it was a, a year and a half into it, um, but, yeah, it was it was, it was not heartening. so quick that you'd be like, oh, no, they're on the uptick. It was long enough that anybody playing was absolutely burned. I just remember one day I'm like, you know, I haven't played that game in a while, and I log in, everybody's a Jedi. And I'm the guy, I'm the dumb you know so that's soldier walking around going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, now it's just, it's the Old Republic, but yeah, not as good as the Old Republic. That's not cool.
0: <laughs> and, and that was the problem I had with the, so basically you lived out the prequels. Because I'm guessing from what you're saying <laughs> is that, I'm just from like guesstimate that you were in high school and you were able to go to this place called the Game Zone or whatever, this place, and you were able to pay for like the Xbox by an hour. I was like, oh, he was a kid and the Xbox was up. I was in... Grad school, I believe. Um, so <laughs> so I'm gu- I guess I'm guesstimating your age, but I just remember that span of the 90s where you really all you had were the Timothy Zahn novels and a couple of those comic books that Dark Horse was putting out. And, and you were like – you had, again, you, that narrative, not unlike your experience – with the the, the with the, the MMO, like you're like, oh, this is what the Star. Wars, you start hearing about the movies coming back, and you're like, oh, the, naturally, that's what it's going to be like. Exactly. When these movies come out, there won't be that many Jedi because Han has no idea what, like, doesn't believe in the Force, and it's twenty years after every, you know, Luke's been born, or Luke is maybe eighteen. So you're like, okay, so um, Obi Wan, you know, went into hiding. These are the things you knew going into the prequels as a that. Obi-Wan smuggled Luke to Tatooine, he was a Jedi, and Luke is 18 years old. Okay, so whatever Obi-Wan was is only 18 years since the last time he was that one of these things. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, so in 18 years, this thing has become a mystery to people who are all over the galaxy, like Han. Like, he's been in every nick and cranny of the galaxy, yeah. so, and he still doesn't believe the Force. So I'm guessing when these prequels... There won't be a lot of Jedi because they're going to be like the the G-Men. They're going to be like secretive. They're going to be the people who only get to do the job. Then the prequels show up and there's these bastards are on every corner. (laughs) They're like beat cops. It's
1: like a Starbucks. Everyone has a Jedi. (laughs)
0: I'm like, the prequels are like, wait, wait. There's Half the galaxy seems to be Jedi in this damn thing. (laughs) And
1: they're doing some pretty impressive things that, you know, a guy growing up in this era wouldn't have heard about him.
0: (laughs) And and Han was alive during that – during like – I'm like, the Clone Wars. During the Clone Wars, Han thing. was alive. He was a kid because <laughs> he's older than Luke. You know, like let's say he's he, got to be what thirties and maybe original at the oldest. At the at the oldest, he's in his thirties. At his youngest, let's give him five six years. Mm-hmm. Yo, I remember I ran Contra. Like I remember it. It was on the news. I would have remembered the Clone Wars on the damn news if I was five, six years old. Now you could you could
1: say, well, he's a smuggler. The planets that he frequented were probably less uh, less regulated. So maybe the There's Jedi's a- were less likely to go there. But he would have had to know that known quantity in order to avoid it. Well, he would have known that I can't go to you know, Republic-owned space or, or Senate-controlled space. I controlled can't go space.
0: to Republic or Senate-owned space because there's fucking Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> there's Jedi there. Because there's guys with laser swords.
1: It's going to get real. Well, I wonder I wonder what he didn't believe more. Was it uh, obviously the laser swords, hey, guys, we're flying in spaceships and there's, you know, moon-sized space stations.
0: That I can get. What a jerk. But uh, being able to do this, Wow. I mean – it all falls apart here, and I've said this many times on Geekscape because it is a big it, – it gets stuck in my craw. <laughs> his co-pilot had Yoda on his back during the Battle of Kashyyyk. Like, like that's that's the end of it. It's like, Han, sure, you may be eight, like 18 years re- removed from Obi-Wan being a Jedi. You may be like, I've been from one side of this galaxy to another. You can't convince me there's some all-powerful force ask your buddy. Ask the dude who has a life debt to you. Ask the guy. Like, come on. See, to that I
1: posit, I don't think he actually speaks Does not. Uh, w- a wookie. Not, I not think a that, damn word. I think he just fakes it and Chewbacca is too nice of a guy to correct him.
0: Yeah, no, he's the racist girl. He's that racist mom in your neighborhood who tries to speak to the day laborers in Spanish <laughs> and just adds O to every word. Yes. She's like, work-o today-o. <laughs> like, like, that's basically what I don't want to start anything. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, C.C. I, got well, it's, yeah, I mean, you, it you look at it in, in the racist. new
1: trilogy, too, where Ray is, what, 18 years removed from <laughs> the blowing up of the second Death Star by Better. the most famous Jedi in history, and now it's all legends. It's like, wait,
0: all he legends. really existed? I think people forget shit really quickly in the Star Wars universe. Because, that could be. And I, and I mean, maybe that's a problem they had a long time ago. We were ago. talking about this last night. I was like, you're telling me that the, that the last Jedi starts 20 minutes... Or so after the, the yeah. last movie, and already they don't have a fleet. It's like obliterated. They just blew up the Death Moon, whatever it's called, and like the. But suddenly, the First Order is like. Empire but they're doing great. Yeah, first Order is like, doing great. It's like uh, You just lost your Death Star. What are you talking <laughs> about? So you blow up the seat of the Republic which they did, the New Republic, they blew up the scene of the New Republic and suddenly everything goes to shit within 20 minutes. Like, this they, they blew up, like, what, five planets? Uh, that's, yeah. I, I, with, the,
1: with the Starkiller base? Yeah, with Starkiller base. They blew up, like, five mm-hmm. planets. Those are but some strategic-ass Ga- planets. Ga- Ga- and they were, like, all clustered together, which yeah. is really just a mistake. Um, I mean, come on, <laughs> let's get some tactical sense, New Republic. But how—I've I just—there's I'm, I'm, a lot of things about the new trilogy that I'm not quite gelling with, but— how did these ragtag group of new Nazis come together so quickly? Right. And now they're following uh, uh, Donald Gleason all around mm-hmm. the galaxy so he can scream at them uh, and emo uh, Darth
0: Vader. I mean, well, it's, They're following Snoke. Wow. Well, oh, and Snoke is going.
1: I want to know how did Snoke convince anybody? I mean, he walks into a bar. Don't worry, guys. The face,
0: it's, uh, you won't have to worry about it. It's a height <laughs> You know what? It's a height thing. <laughs> Smoke is like eight feet tall. So like he, guys, guys, I'm taller. He goes, guys. Listen to me. You're gonna want to follow me because when it gets crowded, you can still see me over people's heads. That, exactly. You won't get lost he, when we're he, at Disneyland. He's a natural leader. <laughs> he's a natural <laughs> leader just by the fact that he's tall as hell. You know, and has you know, and so I like this Adam guy. Um, Geekscape, if you guys like this Adam guy, his book, uh, When the Skies Fall. It's the second book of the tri- – in, in, is this a trilogy? Let's talk. So originally it was going to be a trilogy. But you, and, wait, oh, yeah, we were talking about this. So you were born in Fort Worth. You wrote this way back when, so, so, I, so lay it out for me.
1: All right, so it, it's a crazy story. It's um, it's I, This is going to sound kind of like I'm putting on airs. So 9-11, literally 9-11, 2001. Uh, uh, I, I go to school, and then my teacher comes in, and she's like, hey, we're, we're going to go into a different room. We have to watch this. This is a moment in history. In you school. need to be a part of it. And yeah, I, I, it's okay. uh, my junior – Sophomore or junior year. Sure. And we watch the news. It's it's horrifying. Everyone's kind of dealing with it their own way. And then they're like, okay, well, now it's time to go to your next class. And in my head, I'm like, I can't think right now. Like, mm. I, I, this is this our this Kennedy assassination. This is a moment where we're, we're always going to remember where we were, what we were doing. So we go to my next class, and it's computer uh, application. So we, basically, our, our teacher was kind of nuts. He would have us play flight simulator, and that was his idea of computer learning. <laughs> but it's... It's just PCs, so we we had uh, Microsoft Word on there, and I'm like, you know what? For the next 45 minutes, I'm just going to throw thoughts on paper and see what happens. And so I just free wrote for 45 minutes, and what I ended up with is pretty much beat for beat the first chapter of the book. It the, was just of the first book of the first book. Okay. I'm just I got to get I've got f- f- emotions and anger and all this stuff I want to get out, and it's um, you know I I'm patriotic, but also there's so many questions now that I have. So I just threw out everything that I had on paper. And and then it sat on that computer. I emailed it to myself. And then over the next year, I just kept adding to it. It just right. added, well, what am I thinking now? Well, now we're going to war in Afghanistan. What am I thinking now? Now we're doing this. Well, what am I thinking now? I'm starting to get more political. What am I thinking now? And I kept, I kept building this thing up. And by the time I graduated, I had eight chapters written out. And I thought it was fantastic. My mom, <laughs> of course, is going, Adam, you're so, this is so talented, amazing. Yeah. Um,
0: you're like, it's the next Harry Potter. <laughs> guys, come on. I'm doing great. <laughs> but this is who I'm casting in the movie.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I already Dreamcast this thing four times. <laughs> I get to college and I, I continue working on it. At the where end was of that, where was that? So that was Boston University. Okay, and I took some creative writing classes with with uh, uh, Theo Epstein, phenomenal New York Times best selling author, who told me you gotta you gotta get out of sci fi. You need to write something more realistic. And I am like, okay, cool. I am just not gonna listen to you. Yeah, um, and no. he's he. I really should. He's a phenomenal writer, but. I want to write sci-fi. I want to write space and explosions. And,
0: and I think that fiction in sci-fi for sure is a great way to look at the truth. You know, it's a great way to, to, to hold it in your hand and take it apart and think about metaphor. And in and, and it's a great prism through which to look at things.
1: Absolutely. I think that if you look at some of the best sci-fi, um, I mean, your your Bradbury's, your Heinlein's, your cards, um, they use science fiction and, and really the art of satire to point the camera at parts of the world that maybe we're not really comfortable looking at. I mm-hmm. think um, Orson Scott Card was able to look at how are we raising children in a military style, which you know, he took it to the extreme. Right. But you can look at the way that you know kids are reared today and the way that our education system is built to really guide people to making certain decisions, to make them cogs to fit in a certain machine. If you look at Heinlein, Heinlein was writing from a more pro fascist perspective, but you can take that work and understand, well, if that mindset was really taken to its extreme, this is where things could end up. This is what a military fascist society that's not quite genocidal towards humanity, but genocidal towards any other Xenos that come out would look like. Um, and it, it allows you to get a little bit of introspection. Uh, I think Bradbury obviously had some of the best, um, you know, pointing the camera at the world and really shining a light on the dark spaces uh, of many modern sci-fi writers but you can go back in history and look at some of the early horror writers like Lovecraft uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe and be able to see a lot of those same things mm-hmm. it's just creepier so yeah you know,
0: they did a good job yeah and yeah you were recommended to try something that i mean was it was it like hey you know cuz keep in mind my my father and i had the conversation over uh over a break, I spent some extended time in Austin, and he was like, "This uh, Geekscape
1: thing."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I, he got halfway through a sentence, and I was like, "Nope, it stays. Nope, it stays." <laughs> this thing
1: you've been doing for a decade. You ever want to just
0: like get into law
1: or Geekscape
0: something? Geekscape thing, <laughs> and it's just, and it could be a generational thing where it's like, it, it where it just it doesn't they they just don't get it, and it's cool, and I, I can continue to explain it to my father. But this is my audience in my little home, and, it's, and we carved it out for ourselves, and you meet people from all over the world, and and um, and it's worked. Um, you know, but people don't, you know, don't, people see how they made it, you know, people see how they succeeded, or how the people they look at succeeded, and they are trying their best to to keep you from getting your cuts and bruises, you know what I mean, and And I think the cuts and bruises are good. And I was listening to uh, somebody speak today uh, on a podcast, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. It was don't have heroes. It was because your heroes, A, you, you don't know them, right? You never meet them, and you don't know what they've gone through. Like, think about recently, like, as much as we love Stan Lee here on Geekscape, we all have questions now about the you know what he went through the scandal that he supposedly went through with you know harassing women in a nursing home or this and that or his nurses he's not in a home but the the nurses and you start thinking oh okay it reminds me of like when charles barkley came out and said i'm not a role model right um like are your parents even role models because they become so human to you over the time that you're growing up so I, i keep thinking about this idea of like um, and that's just what I was thinking about Geekscape is feel free to throw in your two cents on the forum, uh, on our Geekscape forever, uh, group on Facebook or, uh, on, you know, wherever your podcatcher is that you're using right now. So if you're on SoundCloud, go ahead and leave a comment. But, uh, what you think about the idea of like not having heroes cause Geekscape is built around all this stuff. Like we love our heroes. We love our Luke Skywalker's and this and that, but, um, you don't ever really know them. They're all presentational. Yet, as kids, we're modeling ourselves after them, right? Peter Parker's teaching us right or wrong. You know what I mean? Don't give up. This and that, right? Um, Real life heroes, real human being heroes, flawed, right? So, I don't know. It's just something I was pondering. And it sounds like this teacher is someone who... Uh, was just trying to do his best to keep you from get getting the the getting the you know it's like <laughs> getting sci-fi kicked in the teeth by publishers <laughs> yeah but you know what it's 2018 and how many franchises are being built on your dramas pal well all and, sci-fi all the time as uh, being... i don't know if you've
1: ever seen the tv show leverage <laughs> yeah one of my favorite shows of all time but she wrote uh that. The, oh, never mind. the it it character all the time age of the geek baby i mean mm-hmm. that's We are living through one of the greatest geek revolutions uh, in history. And I think that our parents are really coming from a place of uh, not not fear, but they've seen what works and they've seen that hard work and trade craft and uh, the medical career, the law career. That's what worked for their generation. That's what got them from, uh, you know, either out of a recession, depending on how old they or in the baby boomer era. These were the jobs that really made you money. We came up in the age of the geek and the dot com mm-hmm. boom in uh cryptocurrency in this cryptocurrency like, just stuff that doesn't make it we've got Elon Musk coming out and being like hey guys i'm not making zombies in a factory trust me i don't know if you guys have been following him on twitter he's one of the funniest guys to follow on twitter yeah. cuz he just trolls you with science
0: and there's i mean but there's a but there's the generation we're in has a level of transcendence to it it's like we're not going to disrupt what came before Right? Like like Uber and Uber and Lyft did the, their business models didn't disrupt sure it, it disrupted taxis, but the the goal wasn't to disrupt taxis. The goal was to transcend taxis. To, here's an idea beyond taxis. You know what I mean? Like cryptocurrency isn't like, oh, we're gonna shake up the economy, we're gonna destroy the, the economy. It's we're going to transcend the economy. So if the metaphor is JP Morgan Looking up and being like, okay, we need a railroad across the United States. Not, no single person can pay for that railroad, so I'm going to have to sell shares and stock in the railroad. And it gave a giant boon to the creation of the American stock market in the creation of the the railroad. Those were still fairly wealthy people buying pieces of that railroad to stretch all the way to California. Mm -hmm. Today, we've got this cryptocurrency. When you look at it, it's like, oh. I can't afford pieces of the railroad, but I can afford a pickaxe and it allows anybody to, in microtransactions, create something together. And I think that comes out of where our minds are now that we're like, oh, there's a social way to lift these problems, right? There's a way to, you know, even things like Reddit, is there's a there's a social journalism aspect to this. It's like, oh, you know, now, well, now that our journalism is being attacked, <laughs> but, but there's a citizen journalism aspect to where we're at, you know, especially with things like blogging and Twitter, the Twitter sphere. There's this you know, it's 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 a shared ability for better or worse.
1: We even look at what that's we're doing kind of right where now. We are
0: now, and our parents have no idea where that was. That was no generation but ours. Absolutely, I mean the the concept of a
1: podcast, right. uh, Even just a few years ago, would have been like, oh, well, you know, that's not that's something that maybe like a radio personality who does two shows a week, but he also has a podcast. And like, oh, well, that's a that's a known quantity. That's somebody that I already follow. I, it was a limited marketplace sure. where. Only those who either had the connections or really were the cream of the crop could succeed. But now with you know a microphone and access to the internet, you can start your own radio show and some amazing ideas can come out of it. I think you're absolutely right. We're living in that social era, the age of the crowdfunding, the age of um, Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some things come out of it that are – that are misses. I want to make mashed potatoes. But, yeah. Or maybe it it's a <laughs> uh, it, potato salad. Potatoes, potato salad. Yeah, yeah. But you also get Veronica Mars movie is crowdfunded. You get video games, huge, huge video games that are crowdfunded.
0: Right. Um, uh, the, and not all of them are, uh, what was the one that Mega Man creators <laughs> that are, they're, they're, like, really pissed everybody off. What was it? Like, the, I mean, it, it broke Josh Jackson's heart on Geekscape Games. He was like, You bastard. What was the name of the damn game? It came and, I mean, it did not come and in, in go because it didn't come in you know, because it took like two years of like moving the goalpost funding on mm-hmm. this thing. What was it called? I forget it. Well, I,
1: I've fallen down that rabbit hole with Peter Molyneux a couple times because oh, no. he'll, he'll come out and he'll
0: be like, Hey, guys.
1: I know that I have failed to meet promises every time. But I got a new game and it's going to be the best game ever and I'm like, "Oh my god, here's $50." I'll wait. I'm, I'm i love everything you do even though you disappoint me every time. Do and you, then he does it again. But I mean the
0: first, I mean the first fable was his first game. The first game that everybody loved, right?
1: Uh well, yeah, he he had Fable, he had uh, um Populous. Populous. Goddess.
0: I mean, Goddess? Yeah, no, Populous. But and those then, were popular games, like no, those well, are good Populus games. Was Populous was was
1: kind of was culty, good? cult classic and then he had Black and White, the original Black and White uh-huh. which was more popular and then Fable and it was like this is genius this guy guy knows what's up golden touch and and Fable the original Fable it was good it was like this is way different and that made it epic I and then it. fable 2 he starts going out like guys guys you're gonna be able to start your own economy you're gonna be able to rule a country you're gonna and i'm like i'm writing down all this stuff i'm like i, I gotta save money i gotta buy all of the copies of this game and then it comes out and he's like ah we didn't have time so it's he <laughs> slash it stuff there's a dog <laughs> hey guys there's a dog i'm in like yeah he, he sure. always gives you just fable enough to as, keep... i mean
0: it wasn't as good as fable 1 was it
1: fable 2 wasn't as good fable 3 was about as good as fable 2 this thing they were good enough
0: you Zelda also have exists. to catch
1: all the mispromises <laughs> right. promises that were going into it, and then when he did the the, the fable on rails thing for Connect, that was kind of like ah, right now you're just grabbing cash. Now
0: you're just grabbing cash. What about creating a, a human child or whatever the heck you wanted to make Milo? Yeah, remember, uh, was it called Milo? Elmo? What, what was it was called? You know, so, yeah, something like that. And it was like that. It was like a kid that would talk to you, and I'm like, no nothing good will come of (laughs) it. Well, I I think that I love it
1: when game designers try something different. Like, do you remember... uh, Of course. I think it was like the Dreamcast, Project Nautilus.
0: Yeah, and we were talking about Nintendo Labo last week. Yeah, I think that's a genius move by Nintendo. Genius move. You guys want to go VR? We'll go old school, ha- like, cardboard. Yeah, it's it's a cardboard
1: freaking game system. We'll anti-tech. It's anti-tech. Exactly, and you know what? I think everybody who's into that sort of thing, that's going to be their system. Mm-hmm. Not, not I mean, There's so much out there that not everything is going to be designed for everyone, and right. I think Nintendo really understands that. They're not marketing to 100% of gamers. They're marketing to their their window, and they're nailing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, look at Breath of the Wild, which I think is one of their best tentpole games game they've ever made. Yeah. Um, but it's not for everybody. It's not for a specific type of gamers. It's maybe not for the Mass Effect type gamer. It's it's designed to be a little bit a little bit different and yeah. really kind of hone in on the craft. I think that's something that uh, really good auteurs and, and designers are starting to realize. If right. you hone in on a market, you can you can still break the mold. Look at um, Deadpool. Right. So uh, Deadpool, everyone said you can't make an R rated movie. You can't make an R rated superhero movie. You can't make uh, a superhero movie with that much violence. They they threw all this stuff. You can't do it. And yet still billion dollars, well uh, hundreds and hundreds yeah, of millions. Almost was, a billion dollars that yeah. this thing made at the box office. Worldwide for sure. Uh Wonder Woman. You can't make female led superheroes. You can't make a female directed superhero movie. Yeah. You
0: can't course correct the DC universe. You
1: can't course correct the DC universe. All these things. Nope, you can. You absolutely yeah. can. It's gonna blow people out of their out of the water. So I think that taking risks, this is this is the time to be doing it. This is the time to be moving forward and and really opening up your mind to what can be possible in the medium.
0: Bob Peterson did it. Damn right he did. <laughs> um, he took a risk. He and took I am a risk with the, with the California <laughs> Cold Blood stuff. And, um, and so you have this book, and it's not in, in, in by your standards today. At the time, you thought it was like great, and then. But it,
1: I wrote it in high in high school. I right. thought it was a great writer in high school. I and get to college. college I yeah. take courses to learn how to write, and I read my stuff. And I'm like, oh my god. This is horrible. Yeah. There's there's grammatical errors, syntax errors, echoes, eh, spelling errors, everything was just kind of a jumbled mess. Echoes I jumped perspective, is just you're, you're back repeating and forth. beats or what. Yeah, just I I didn't know storytelling beats. So right. it was basically I introduced a character, there'd be a rising action, and then I'd introduce a new character, rising action. It's basically uh the middle parts of uh, of the Sand Sister Saga and Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. We're just like, "Come on, let's move on." Uh, so I rewrote it. I rewrote the whole thing that I had. And I only had about nine chapters at the time. I rewrote the whole thing. I got about halfway through the book and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to work on my screenplays and stuff for class. I'll get back to it. I move out <laughs> to Los Angeles and I meet uh, uh, I meet this amazing uh, writer, Scott Tipton, mm-hmm. at San Diego Comic-Con. He's a, a comic book writer, um, novelist. He's fantastic. He runs um, the Blastoff Comics and Comics 101. One?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So – Outstanding guy! Immediately, I'm like, oh my god! Like, I, I got to learn from his you. Name's you know, Scott Tipton. Scott Tipton. Cool. He and his brother write uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation original series. They did the mashup with Planet of the Apes. They did the mashup with Doctor yeah, Who. That boom! Put out. And they're Those are fun they're to read. It. Phenomenal yeah. stuff. So he. Um, he asked me, like, oh, so what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm a writer, too. That's amazing. And he goes, oh, cool. What have you written? I'm like, oh, when high school, I wrote this. And in college, I wrote this. And it's like, awesome. What have you written since you graduated? I'm like, oh. gulp. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm working on a couple things. He's like, all right, I'm going to stop you. Look, it, it's great that you call yourself a writer. And it's great that you're writing. But you have to understand, if you want to be a writer, you have to finish. Right. Writers finish. And that was that was kind of the the moment when I went, oh, I have not used this the tool set that I have. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna finish that thing I started years ago, a yeah. decade ago. And so over six weeks, I got everything I had, all my notes, all my all my uh, old documents, and I rewrote the whole thing Woo! from page one. And I wrote six hundred thousand words.
0: Oh my God. Huge
1: giant stack of paper. Well, and what's he's,
0: that November contest that like It was like, like NaNoWriMo. 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 I just took like, a little bit longer. To well, it. well a little longer. <laughs> you wrote your butt off. How many how many Average pages just to write on NaNoWriMo.
1: So NaNoWriMo, you got to write 1,600 words a day, which is roughly three to four pages. This I was writing about 10 pages a day.
0: Yeah, so NaNoWriMo. So what, NaNoWriMo? You took (laughs) you six weeks. You NaNoWriMo, (laughs) NaNoWriMo, NaNoWriMo. you destroyed it. it. You wrecked it.
1: I I knocked it out of the park. And then I, I... Scott said, hey, look, if you write this, if you finish it, I will edit it for you at a friend discount because he's also an editor for a major company. So it's his day job. So I I paid him some money. He edited for me. He comes to me and he says, look, I don't say this to a lot of people who give me stuff that they've written because everybody gives me stuff they've written. I'm a writer. People always come up and say, hey, can you read this? I think it might be good. But this is actually good. And you should start showing this around. And that was like the moment. So I started showing it around. I, I wrote all the agent letters, all the publisher letters. Immediate rejection just across the board, uh, which, hey, if you guys want to start a career in writing, get used to rejection. It's yeah. fantastic. And it's
0: like what? Like uh, um, I listened to Tim Ferriss and he talked about how the four-hour work week got um, rejected 27 times. Yeah. You know, and obviously like um, the Harry Potter story is very famous about just the number of rejections. Nobody uh, wants to read about a kid wizard. Come on, yeah. get out of here, G.A.K. <laughs> um, okay. So so you're, just, you're sending all these re- you know, things, you're getting rejection letters uh did you fall upon bob or did you say hey i'm going to digitally publish so bob and
1: i met at um i think it was comics on comics podcast yeah. or, or, that, or it, it, i went there because a friend of mine jessica uh jessica tank the jessica the comic oh, jessica. book girl jessica's so, awesome so she you're awesome jessica she, she invited us to uh to go see her on this podcast we're like oh yeah of course and they're like hey it's a two drink minimum when you're there and I'm like hey i got no problem with that um and then at the end of the show, uh, I bobbed one of the guys on the panel and he's like, "Oh, I'm a self-published author. This is what I do." And I went up to him and I'm like, "Oh my god, I have this novel. I finished it. I don't know what to do with it. Nobody's picking it up. Should I self-publish?" And then me and him just started corresponding back and forth and he's like, "That's great. I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you a couple things that I learned along the way. I self-published the book. My brother helps me with a grassroots marketing campaign and we sell about 3,000 copies."
0: And that is on the Amazon marketplace. That was through, yeah, the Amazon marketplace. And the, and you said that, like it's really important to have a great cover there. For that, it yeah. was all about having a great cover, uh-huh. and I
1: went with—I think back then it was called Elance, okay—the um, uh, electronic freelance marketplace. Now they have 99 Designs, which is where I go to for my book covers. And you but
0: go to 99 Designs and you hire somebody to do your book covers. And you you
1: start a contest. That's the best part about you it. You just say, contest. "Hey, I have a book. I need a cover. Pitch me," and you you set a prize amount. So we set. 250 bucks so for 250 bucks if you win this award show me what you got and then about 20 or 30 artists will start pitching and the higher the prize the more people that you'll get to commit to for it. sure um so we ended up with 250 bucks threw it out there and we ended up getting 20 guys pitching this one guy pitched one that was like just borderline uh too close to star wars to really work but sure. he's like no, no no i changed it we we took it to a couple guys we know who know copyright law and they're like yeah you're you're in the clear it's fine and we put it out there and it started selling. And and uh, we went on Reddit. We went on uh, Imager and Facebook ads. We just did the best grassroots we could to sell this thing. And we sold enough that about the same time, Bob was starting up California Cold Blood. And he, he was going to put out his books and he had a couple authors in mind. And he calls me up and he's like, hey, how's that? How's the sales going? Like, what's going on with your book? And I go, oh, it's it's going great. Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. But, you know, hey, book one out and book one of a trilogy.
0: And what year is this?
1: This is 2013.
0: And the book is available now, still on the Amazon Marketplace. But you can get a uh, digital, you can get like right now. I've got a printed uh, paperback copy of the second book, Geekscape, is. But you can get the first book uh, in paperback and digitally, on, like for your like your iPads and stuff.
1: Yes. Cool. And the first book, When the Stars Fade, uh, we we ended up when uh, when Bob said, "Hey, look, I'm starting up this company, and I want you to be the first author in this table." I'm going to release the Gray Wars through California Cold Blood. First things first, we're going to pull it down from that original self-publishing. We're going mm-hmm. to take a look at it, and we're going to split it. So the book one, we chopped it up. We we took some chapters out. We added a whole bunch of chapters in, and re-released the news. The new When the Stars Fade through California Cold Blood, a, and that, that was 2015. New
0: book one.
1: That was the new book one. That was the start of the real live contracted publishing career
0: and that was an amalgamation of it was just you, you say you took chapters out you put chapter what so we, I, I, know, I had the
1: book in my head for years and years right. and years. And the first time Bob looked at it, he's like, "This is great. I love it. I wouldn't change a thing." And then as soon as we signed a contract, he's like, "Oh, but we got to change a couple things."
0: So we, damn it, Bob! <laughs> damn it, Bob!
1: He gets out the red pen. You're so. I'm tones like, no, what are you doing? seduced
0: me into this. <laughs> he gets out the red pen. He, he it's just uh, he just
1: starts marking stuff. And he's like, "Guys, guys, this character he's got to go. This character is basically Ooh. the same." I'm like, what are you doing to me? They don't
0: call it California cold blood for nothing. Uh. I'm cold-blooded. <laughs> Welcome, Adam.
1: <laughs> we get th- we get through the first book. I feel okay. And then we put it out. And I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, we did it. Book two comes around. And now we've got the back chapters from from the original version. Okay. But yeah. he's like, it's got to be rewritten. But like, that's you a have
0: springboard to-, to book two.
1: And basically, you have to do a, a complete rewrite of book two. Ooh. So that was a year of just tearing things apart, putting it back together. I give him my draft. I'm like, you know what? I think it's awesome. This is great. It gets you to the next chapter. And he goes... Uh, you need to kill off a couple of main characters.
0: Cold blood. Nah. You signed with a company called California. Cold I should have known. You should have known the cold bloodedness
1: was coming. And, and that was that was the. I won't say it was a throwdown fight. Bob Bob always wins when we throw down. But, <laughs> but it was it was back and forth. I'm like Bob. I can't do this, man. Like, what are you doing? Anyway, you
0: have to. <laughs> Just and, and
1: look inside. You know it to be true. <laughs> look inside yourself.
0: Uh, and in 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 retrospect you respect the dude's decision. Oh, my God. So
1: <laughs> as soon as it's done and it's like out there, I'm like, Bob, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it was a pain in <laughs> the butt, but you were right, and that was the right call, and we should have killed all those guys. And was, he's he's got such a good eye, ear and eye for story structure and for character development that when he makes a suggestion, it's not coming from a place of you've got too many people, I can't remember all these names. It's, hey, this will make your story tighter. Sure. Uh, this will allow you to explore characters in a different way. So book two is... A complete deviation from the original idea. It, it takes the series in a place I wasn't really prepared to go, which for me as a writer was a, super fun. Uh What's terrifying it about? and
0: fun. Tell us what it's about. Oh, so I, hey, I just realized, like, Jonathan, what are you doing, dude? Tell us what the book, book is about. So um, it's we, basically we so time on history. it's a Kantian
1: uh mystery. No, it's <laughs> So the book is set 200 years in the future. Humanity has leapt out into the stars, we're starting to take our first steps into the galaxy, and we have found zero life. We found, you know, sapient species, but not so much sentient species. And because of that, the same old grudges that we have now keep coming back. We still have uh, classism, we still have racism, we still have power-hungry people using those beneath them, and we're just getting out of a brutal civil war uh, with our first expanded colony, Mars. Mars and Earth just cannot seem to get along. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of this, a new government is formed. You've got a man who used to be called a traitor is now running everything for humanity. It's it's on the precipice that everything's going to fall completely apart. And right as that's starting, two alien races show up by the moon and start fighting their own century-old war using our solar system as the battlefield. And humanity jumps in trying to defend itself and ends up accidentally picking sides. Oh. And we pick sides against the galaxy spanning horde known as the Baxdi, which are on a, a, a age of conquest. They are taking over they're the Milky Persian Way. Em- they're the Persian they're the Persian empire. empire. Right. And we're not even Sparta. We're we're Macedonians. We are right. not prepared for what we've just gotten ourselves into. So it's a story about the war for survival. It's about characters trying to survive in their own lives but also trying to do what's right for the rest of humanity. It's about finding out what's what's the bigger picture between the petty grievances we have with each other versus the real goal of survival of a species. Um, book one is, is about that initial contact. It's the first contact war
0: in, uh, in humanity's teamed up with another alien race and doing this in this battle. Yes. Yeah, okay. So you
1: have two, you have two alien races that we introduce. You have well, we the, the box. Yeah. We,
0: <laughs> we, picked the, the refugee
1: class, the Nangalani, which are, okay. you know, the big, the greys They're you know, greys that look a little bit humanoid, sure. big, big black eyes. Um, and they are refugees. We, we've sided with refugees against the Persian empire. And because of that, we're now fighting a losing battle. In yeah. the first book, we lose battle after battle after battle. We lose in the skies, we lose on the ground, but we're humans. We're scrappy. Right. We're not giving up. You know, right. it's, it's Lin Manuel. We're young, scrappy, and hungry. Um, and then in book two, we pick up right where we leave off. Where humanity is now, we're in the thick of it. We think we've got a little bit of breathing room. We're starting to realize that if we're going to win this war, we're not going to win it in these. You know, with what we've got, we have to be willing to. Not just uh, look at you know kind of devious methods, but we have to look at what we can do to ourselves physically to compete with aliens that are so much stronger, so much faster, and we have to ask, what are we willing to become to survive this war hmm. so book two is a lot about um you know what how far will you go stretching your humanity, breaking your humanity to save humanity
0: yeah, before you lose your humanity exactly I, right.
1: at what point are you no longer really part of the species and if you reach that line, what happens next?
0: That's cool. I like that. That's really cool, dude. I'm in. Um... It's written from the perspective
1: of a couple of soldiers, a couple of politicians. Uh, I apologize the politicians. I'm, I'm not a big fan of them. so they, <laughs> they tend to come out as a little villainous, but I, I do I try to make everyone human and, and they have their their reasons, their sympathies. Uh, the soldiers, obviously I'm writing from a lot of characters that I've met throughout my own life. In
0: perspective um, – by perspective, you mean that it, it's still in third person, but it's not – so it's not World War Z style of like people saying their own – literally their first-person perspectives. Like exactly. World it's a yeah.
1: third-person limited. So when you sure. go – when each chapter kind of moves around, you follow a specific character through that chapter. Um, and you're you're a little bit in their head, but it also means you don't know things that they don't know. So hmm. when they when they make a decision, you kind of understand their perspective – but then in the next chapter you realize oh, crap they just they just blew it and and what's going to happen because of all that or I love that. you know that stuff's going to happen they don't know it and they're making bad decisions because of it
0: that's really cool i love it um cool when the gray sky when the skies fall it's part of the gray war saga this is book 2 book 3 now um you're just going to have bob write it himself cuz he's willing. so uh, come on bob
1: Well, that's the thing. We originally, this was a trilogy, (laughs) and uh, and Bob took it, and he's like, no, we're cutting everything in half, which means now it's a six-book series. Jesus, Bob! Bob, Bob! cold-blood! He's cold-blooded! Bob! (laughs) (laughs) So, book three, which will be When the Ground Breaks, uh, that we're, I'm writing it now. Uh, I have to have both book three and book four done this year so that Bob can start the editing process because we want to get book three out in 2019. I'm just glad you're still calling it the editing process. Uh, it's and not bleeding. the bloodbath. Like, <laughs> <laughs> bloodbath process. I, I wanted to call it the healing process, but it's not. <laughs> it feels it's. Bru- I hate editing so much. I'm so lucky to have Bob to be like guys, guys, just x right. that out. Also, I have a, a um, Barbara uh, from Fanbase Press and Jody Skate from Fanbase <laughs> Press. Them. They've been helping they're us Dylan. readers and and really they're, they're great. absolutely uh, uh, invaluable. Like you, you cannot stress enough their perspective coming in because uh, as a male writer. Uh, I have a lot of female characters, and I don't want to write them as uh, just objects, which mm-hmm. which a lot of young writers and a lot of male writers tend to fall into. Uh, Bob actually called me out on it in book one. He's like, "Hey, every female character bites her lip at some point in a scene."
0: Whoa, dude! And it's just
1: like, why? We're learning- like, I don't <laughs> even know why do they? Every female character when they're introduced, I have to describe what's they what are they
0: shape like? We're learning a lot about you. Adam. And I know it's I'm revealing
1: too much. Uh, But uh, you don't even realize you do this until somebody points it out and it's like, hey, is that really how you want to come across as an author? And I'm like, oh, crap. No, I don't. So as a male, you can either go back and write all your male characters and be like, how's his butt look? Or you can start (laughs) looking at them. All right. If he's a person, how would how would if (laughs) since she is a person, that's how people are. uh, How would she describe herself and then kind of lead with that? What is the personality that you're going to meet? What is what is the most important thing I need to know about her? Um, and it's really – it's it's informed a lot of my writing, just understanding that that is something I, I kind of fall back on you, if I don't pay attention.
0: Now, is there a version where you've gone back and rewritten the male characters? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Bob enters a room with an ass, so you can bounce a quarter off of it. Here we go.
1: <laughs> well, I do have – when I have a, a, a scenes from a female perspective where I'm falling around some of my female <laughs> characters, I legs. do have to be kind of like, okay, well, when she looks at a guy, right. is she looking at him with that kind of perspective? And then I wrote that, and then I, I don't know if it was Barbara or one of my other readers. She's like, uh, girls don't think like that. That's not what we look at. When we look at a dude, we don't look at him like that. I'm like, ah,
0: oh, crap. Listen, creep. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You get out. <laughs> That's really, really cool. Um, Again, the series is The Great War Saga. Books one and two are out right now. If you if you love reading digitally, go for it. It's up on the Amazon Marketplace, and you can also order books is there is there a, a way to order the book where you and bob get most of the money like what's the best what's the preferred <laughs> like i don't know i don't know anything. i think i think what's digital versions way?
1: you tend to get a little bit better okay. uh, percentage but really if i can recommend anything it's go to a local bookstore support your local bookstores and ask them to order it in because cool. one local bookstores are awesome you need to make friends with your your local people uh you can go and ask libraries to order them in i think uh They'll usually get a couple copies even if for new books. Um, right now, in, if you're in SoCal area, Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego has signed copies in their store. Mm. So if you order online, they can send you a signed copy.
0: That's very cool. Very, and very, I wrote very cool. some
1: weird stuff in those books.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Geekscape is, um you got the mission there is to go and, and pick up Adam's books. Um, one thing I wanted to tell you, though, was last week, and I almost forgot this until we were talking about VR and Nintendo Labo. Uh, Last week, my friend Herschel had a great opportunity for me. He actually got me tickets to go down to uh, downtown Disney in Anaheim and experience this Star Wars VR experience, which is put on by this company called The Void. And I've been very cynical about VR because mainly it feels like you put goggles on your head and you spin. It's like put goggles on your head and you spin because VR is great, but unless it's a rail shooter or something um, it seems like it doesn't have like something like let's say uh, your PS4 in your VR in, in your PlayStation uh, it seems like it does you know when I hear that like the Arkham VR the Batman VR is only like 30 minutes long because the file sizes are so constricting that I was like oh well I'll just wait I'll just wait and I found myself becoming very cynical about VR. I found myself thinking that VR, and they had an installation here in by the Grove in L.A. where you could pay and you'd get to, you know, you had to go by appointment and you'd get to do VR for about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, and there was like a John Wick experience. I believe there was a Star Wars one. Um, and it all kind of fell down to like, hey, you're static in, you know, an X-Wing You know, And so a lot of things are moving around you, but basically you are just standing and pivoting. Um, And you understand why. You don't want people with goggles on their faces running into walls. (laughs) And that was my—I mean, I know that that, that's what I would do. I would—here's—I mean, shit, I remember cutting my hand open just playing Wii Sports because I was swinging the damn controller and grazed somebody's watch. Like, if anyone will kill themselves playing VR— It will be me. So I've always been very cynical about VR and just kind of thinking, you know what? This isn't there yet. This isn't there yet. My friend Herschel hits me up because I uh, got Herschel tickets to do a Zelda escape room last uh, spring. And Herschel was like, hey, to pay you back, I got tickets to do this Star Wars VR thing. And I was like, love you, dude. He said it's at 1130 at night. And I was like, oh, okay, let's do that. I'm an older man. And I already taught that day. I was teaching <laughs> until like 11. So I teach college and then I hop in the car with Herschel. We go down to Anaheim and we go into this thing and it's created by this company called The Void. And I think they have it in Orlando. I know they have it here in Anaheim. It, I think that when the, on the East Coast, they also had a Ghostbusters experience that they did using VR. And Geekscape is, I just got to tell you, if it's got The Void name on it and it's got this experience, you got to go. Because this is what happened. Again, I'm thinking about the the idea that VR is just a pivot and point experience. And what they actually did was they've skinned an entire area made up of rooms and hallways and they've skinned it, I gotta think, down to the millimeter. Um, and it's a, it's a Star Wars experience. It takes place during Rogue One. And I'm not going to spoil the story for you, but I'll tell you how it opens. Um, it's during Rogue One and... We are part of the resistance, um, and we are going to undercover as stormtroopers. So we put the, the the pack on. You put a, a, a like a wrist um, bracelet on. Um, you have a hell. You know, you have a, the VR goggles, and you're suddenly in this. Uh, you know, you get your mission. You're going to go on to Mustafar, which is the lava planet at the end of the third prequel, um, and they've got a base. They've got this this. This uh, imperial base, and you've got to find out what is in this crate that is being transported to this base. So you're on this imperial transport. You know what they look like; those little things that have the wings come down, and it's been hijacked, you know, and reprogrammed, whatever. And so you're undercover on this thing, and you fly in, and the Alan Tudyk robot is telling you the plot and this and that. And you know, again, I'm just sitting down in a room. There is a bench, a physical bench, and I'm sitting on this bench, and and. Everything looks great, but I'm still not convinced. I'm sitting on this bench. I can turn to my left and see Herschel as a stormtrooper. We're listening to everything. We're looking forward. Everything seems pretty cool. I can guesstimate that we're still in a room that is roughly f- six feet by whatever, um, maybe five feet, Uh but but it does look like we're in this imperial transport. We come in to Mustafar and we land on this uh, giant platform, and this is where I start saying, "Holy shit!" The doors open and I'm hit with heat. <laughs> I'm just hit with the heat of being on a lava planet, and I go, "Holy crap!" It is then that the you know that they're like, "Please step out onto the platform," and I'm like, "What?" And I step up off this bench. And I walk forward, and I'm literally walking out onto a, like, skiff, like a little barge. I get onto it, and it, f- and I'm standing there next to Herschel and another stormtrooper, and we fly onto another platform, and a, you know, we're sitting there waiting. We're scanned. Everything's cool. You can continue. A door opens up. I walk into a hallway, into an elevator, and I see this... Uh, like I just see a bar on the wall, you know, like a like a control bar and it's like you need to manually start the, the elevator And so I I just grab the thing as if it's real like at no point did I ever think that I was in a green room Like floating in space suddenly I am on the damn planet. I am in this Imperial base I'm walking down a hallway. I am in an elevator. There is heat on sections of me Based on me leaving the doorway, there is a hallway. There are, there's rumbling when I, 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 just, I, I just naturally reach out and grab the bar as if it's there. And I pull it down, and the elevator starts, and it starts rumbling. And I know I'm just in a box that's shaking. I know I am. But it was so fucking cool to have this elevator move. <laughs> and you see the things moving past the elevator. We go down below the lava. We are in this hangar bay. And you see the object you're supposed to keep track of moving, and there's stormtroopers walking everywhere. And I'm like, holy crap, door opens up. We we walk into another hallway, which in retrospect is, yes, just the platform that we just walked out of to get into the elevator, whatever. We're walking into this hallway. I look up. There's an entire hangar bay with things flying around, stormtroopers. It looks amazing. I walk into the – and it's like if we stay too long – you know, and somebody's over my ears like if you guys stay too long, you'll be spotted. Just act naturally. I walk into this little room, and I see blaster rifles in a holder, like stormtrooper blaster rifles. And it's like just naturally. And I look at these blaster rifles, and I'm sorry, Geekscape, is I can't help it. I was like, (laughs) fucking A. I reached out and I grabbed something on the wall that was completely physical. I could feel it. There are buttons that if I push, they're real buttons. Like, they skinned buttons into the thing. They skinned, like, stuff on the wall you you could work with. And so I'm like, damn, I can open doors. I can do all sorts of stuff. This is, I mean, and I'm walking around. I'm walking down hallways. I'm walking through rooms. I'm, like, doing stuff. I couldn't help it. I saw these blasters just sitting there. I picked one up. (laughs) (laughs) I pick up this blaster, and all of a sudden, eh, 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 it's like, they're on to us. And Herschel's like, what did you do? I'm like, here you go, and I hand him a blaster. It's a blaster. I'm holding it in my damn hand, and I look down at my hand, and it's skinned like the blaster. It looks freaking awesome. I can only imagine it's a green cube or whatever I'm holding, (laughs) but I'm holding this gun, and Suddenly, the door op- behind us opens up, and there's stormtroopers standing there all over. And I just start shooting at them. They hit me a couple times. I can feel it. It's like hitting me. It's Dude, I was in it. I go out into the hallway. You could duck behind crates, and they could miss you. Like, it was so awesome. It was such an amazing, immersive experience. Again, if you see a VR experience, it could be Star Wars or otherwise, that the void has programmed know that it is totally worth the $30. It's worth like the one, two, three month wait or whatever the heck it is to schedule this thing. And it was so awesome. I won't tell you anything beyond that, but I was pulling levers. I was pushing buttons. I was firing the, the I mean, the weight of the blaster rifle in my hands. I was shooting. I was missing like every storm tripper, <laughs> like, like every 10th of my shots hit, you know what I mean? But The you know, and I was bumping into Herschel. I shot Herschel a couple times because I turned and he looked like a stormtrooper. I shot him, (laughs) and I mean, there's just a couple. I mean, it was we walked out of there at a little past midnight, freaking out. We had just lived in the Star Wars universe, and again, it's not like you're sitting in a cockpit and stuff is rotating. We were racing down hallways, we were ducking behind cover, we were. Interacting with buttons and levers and guns. We were in it. We could feel the heat. We could feel the rumble. It was amazing. (laughs) It was so fucking cool. And I could not wait to tell you Geekscape is about it. Um for sure. If you're making your way to Disneyland or Disney World, you've got to get on the website. Again, the company's called The Void, and they know how to make these things because that was the first time I was really convinced about this whole VR thing. I know I'm going to be playing with my Nintendo Labo, loving it, but I now have hope for VR because at no point did my clumsy butt ever think I was running into a wall because it was as presented. The three-dimensional room and environment was exactly as it was skinned and presented. Down to, I guess, the centimeter. It was awesome. The heat coming off. Of, dude, I was so pumped. I was so pumped. And there were parts where we were like, holy shit, we're going to die. <laughs> it was <laughs> great. Geeks' games. Like, I can't recommend it to you enough. Um, so that is my favorite geek thing this week. Um, okay, let's recircle the wagons. The book is called When the Skies Fall. It is book two of the Gray War Saga. Adam, thanks for coming on the show, dude. Hey, thank
1: you so much for having me. This is a fun? lot of fun.
0: Dude, I love it. Geekscape is... I love doing this show. Um, I Again, like, thank you, Bob, for setting this up. I love talking to Adam. And um, Bob's got a ton of other stuff. If you go to CaliforniaColdBlood.com, you can see all the other books, uh, including the odds that Bob wrote. Um, you can see all sorts of stuff up there. So if you guys are into sci-fi, fantasy, all that stuff, uh, Bob's got some pretty great selection. And um, again, pick up the first two books in the Grey War Saga and expect... The 3rd and 4th here, I don't know, next year, year we, two. next year,
1: We're looking at spring 2019 for book three.
0: Cool. Adam, which I just got to you know,
1: finish writing it. Well, well uh, Beth Woodward's new book, uh, uh, Embrace the Demon, is coming out, I believe, in the fall. So cool. if you uh, if you like that kind of dark fantasy, urban fantasy, kind of Buffy the Vampire Slayer-ish, uh, it's fantastic. She's an awesome writer.
0: Very cool. Well, uh, Geesey, just keep checking that site. And for sure, after you read Adam's books, you're probably going to want more. Um, what do you say we have Adam at the Geekscape booth this summer um, at Comic Con to promote his books? If Adam is headed down to Comic Con, maybe that'd be fun. Um, I don't know what else to do. Geekscape, it's like I built this to try and help you and help you educate you in the geek ways and help our friends. <laughs> <laughs> like so, I Keep don't know what else geeky. to do. Maybe we can get maybe we can get Adam down there and Bob down there. Um, maybe you can bring your uh, your writing to Bob and he can tear it to pieces in person no i'm kidding he'll give you that cold I, blood experience we've we've just <laughs> painted i got at no point should you take anything from this other than bob is an amazing individual and he's super 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 nice i love how we painted him as this ruthless editor and he's anything but um, i
1: mean in the movie version of his life he'll have to be a little bit more you know the sorkin's gonna write him kind of filling us. <laughs>
0: He pushes you out a window. (laughs) I'll I'll take it from here. (laughs) Uh, Geekscapes, we love you. You can hang out with us on Facebook at the Geekscape Forever Group. Uh, Also join the page. That's where we post a lot of our news articles and things that we still put up on Uh, geekscape.net. We're here. I'll be back at the studio uh, again next week with a brand new guest. Uh, and later this week, be checking the feed because I'm going to sit down with Timur right now in a little bit and talk to him about our Geekscapist from Cologne, Germany, and all about him. Because you know what? Geekscape is about community. And I want uh, to have you all on the show eventually to come and you know just get to know each other. Do a little hang session. Uh, so look for that on the feed. But right now, get yourself to Amazon. Get yourself to a digital marketplace. Or you know what? Even better, get yourself to a local indie bookstore and pick your pick up your copy of the great wars saga books one and two okay geekscapers love you um geekscape forever adam
1: any final words uh hey guys if you want to get started writing the best advice i can give is the one i was given write and finish
0: that's awesome uh thank you i'll be taking some of that advice as well all right geekscapers see you later